Okay. Okay, so we're gonna get started here. This week's Torah portion is Parsha's bow. And the word bow means to come. There is an interesting teaching on the word bow that the word bow is made out of two letters, the bet and the aleph. And the numerical value of those two letters is three. And in this week's Torah portion, we actually have the three last of the 10 plagues. Okay, now in the opening of this week's Torah portion, which is what we're gonna end up talking about after we give a brief synopsis of the Torah portion, the uh, opening of the Torah portion doesn't really explain itself. The verse says, God said to Moshe, Bo el paro, come to paro. And then the next two verses talks about God talking to Moses that he is going to do great miracles, which means that we don't have any clear instructions on why God told Moses to come to Pharaoh. What does it mean? Come to Pharaoh usually comes along with a message God is sending through Moses through Pharaoh. Rashi immediately picks up on this question and Rashi just says, give him a warning. God's telling Moses, give Pharaoh a warning. And the Rebbe, blessed memory, gives an amazing insight to this, saying what God is telling us is that even if God has decreed because one has sinned again and again and again, and God is making it difficult for him or her to change their ways and do teshuva, like the verse says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Nevertheless, God is telling Moses, you have to not give up because regardless of how difficult I make it, every person can put an emphasis and, and really work hard and anyway be able to do teshuva even if God makes it difficult for him. Hence, Rashi is telling us that God tells Moses, you may think that you don't have to warn him anymore because I made it hard for him to change his ways. You should know that that's incorrect. You have to do yours. You have to warn him. And maybe you will arouse within him such a strong commitment to want to change that he will overcome the obstacle that I put in his way to change. So that's one interpretation that Rashi gives. We'll talk soon about, at the end, we'll talk about a different interpretation of facing your fears. Another question that is asked is why does God say to Moses, come to Pharaoh rather than go to Pharaoh? And one of the beautiful insights here is, and we'll talk about that soon at greater length, God saying, come with me, you do not go alone. Okay, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh that we're going to, we're warning you, let the Jewish people go. There's going to be another plague, plague number eight, and that is the plague of locusts, the plague of grasshoppers. And grasshoppers will cover entire Egypt. So it's interesting to note 
that even though plague number nine is the plague of darkness, nevertheless, when there is a plague of locusts that comes swarming in and they come by the tens of thousands, hence they block out the sun. So actually, even then, it was already that you couldn't see the earth because all the locusts were there. Now, the Torah testifies that there never was and never will be such a plague. However, in the time of Joel, the prophet, there was a plague, and it says there too that there was never such a plague. And the answer is, the difference is that in Egypt, there was one type of locust that came. However, in the times of Joel, there was the plague of locusts was made up of all the different species of the locusts. Okay, at this point, the Egyptians hear that there's another plague coming and they turn to Pharaoh, the Egyptians turn to Pharaoh and say, um, don't you see that we've lost? Why are you still fighting? Let them go. So again, Pharaoh calls back Moses and says, who are you going with? And Moses says, we're going the elders, the youngers, our sons, our daughters, and our livestock are all going out to celebrate a holiday to God, which God has given us. And Pharaoh responds, not going to happen. And you should know that I see evil is coming towards you. Now, our sages explain that Pharaoh, being a great astrologer, he saw that there is the mazal of evil that is hovering over the Jewish people in the desert. And interesting enough, when the Jewish people commit the sin of the golden idol and God tells Moses that I will annihilate the Jewish people, Moses says, Lama Yomru, why will they say that with evil you have taken them out of Egypt. And our sages tell us that Moses was talking about this verse that Pharaoh said. If you're going to annihilate the Jewish people, then Pharaoh is gonna say that he was right. And there was evil that was facing us that you could not protect us from. And that's when God says, I will not annihilate the Jewish people. So you see that Pharaoh did see something he did see that the mazal of Edom, the mazal of red, of blood, of strictness, of justice, of retribution was hovering over the Jewish people. But because Moses prayed for the Jewish people, God realigned that with in the days of Joshua, when Joshua got all the Jewish people to circumcise themselves, that was the blood that took the place of the blood of death, which was hovering above the, upon the Jewish people when they made the golden calf. Okay, let's go further. God, God tells Moses, stretch out your arm upon Egypt and a, a wind from the east, a strong wind from the east came blowing and it brought all the locusts to cover the entire land of Egypt. And what happened was, that Pharaoh immediately saw this and he realized the danger of such a plague 
wiping out their entire sustenance. He went running to Moses and told Moses, remove this. I have sinned. I have done wrong. Please pray for me. And Pharaoh went and Moses left Pharaoh and he prayed to God and God brought a west wind that blew the locusts back out of Egypt into the Yamsuf, into the Sea of Reeds. Now, the verse says not even one locust remained in Egypt. Why? Because there is a law, a rule that says that the sinner cannot profit from his sin. Being that grasshoppers were edible and they used to eat the grasshoppers. By the way, some grasshoppers are kosher. We just don't know which ones, so we stay away from it. But there are certain species of grasshoppers that are actually kosher. Now, because it's edible and it's actually a delicacy, therefore God removed all of them from Egypt so that the sinners should not profit from their punishment. And the minute the grasshoppers were taken out of Egypt, so Pharaoh, once again, God hardens his heart and he did not keep his word. He did not send the children of Israel. At this point, God tells Moses, it's time for plague number nine, which was the plague of darkness. And now it's important to know that the plague of darkness was divided into two parts. The first three days, it was just darkness, which you couldn't see. However, the second three days, the darkness took on a physical form, a thickness, which did not allow the Egyptians to move. This only applied to the Egyptians. The Jewish people, not only where they lived, did they have light, but even if they walked into the Egyptian house, they were able to see. Now, why did that happen? Because God told Abraham that your children for four generations, for the, the, the three generations will be slaves, and in the fourth generation, they will come back. And at that point, God also promised Abraham that he would, his children, the Jewish people, would leave with great wealth. That's why we're about to see that God tells Moses to tell the Jewish people to ask the Egyptians for their gold and their silver. Therefore, in the plague of darkness, the Jewish people were able to go into the Egyptian houses and be able to see what they had. They didn't take anything. They just looked so that later when they would ask them after the plague, they would ask the Egyptians, they would know what to ask for. Another interesting thing that happened, our sages teach us that God told the Jewish people, I'm taking you out of Egypt. However, what happens if a Jew says, I don't want to leave Egypt? Now, this was before the giving of the Torah. Once God gave the Torah and the Jewish people accepted it, we don't have the power to tell God no. However, before Mount Sinai, if the Jew told God, I don't want to leave Egypt, then God would not force him to leave. However, because God told Abraham that the Jews will not remain in Egypt, so the Jew who chose not to leave Egypt would know 
that he has chosen that he would have to die before the Jews left Egypt. Hence, in the plague of darkness was the time where those Jewish people were able to make that choice and say, we don't want to leave Egypt. Now, you may wonder why would any Jew choose to die rather than to leave Egypt? So first of all, just that you should know the numbers. Four-fifths of the Jewish people chose to die rather than to leave Egypt. That means only one out of every five Jews left Egypt. Do your mathematics. If we know that men from the age of 20 to 60 was 600,000, add on senior citizens, add on kids, add on females, we're talking about estimation of 3 million people. That means that there was 15 million people in Egypt, four-fifths of them died. So we're talking about 12 million chose not to leave and 3 million agreed to leave. Now, this does tell us something very amazing that we find over and over again amongst the human nature. We are so afraid of change that we would rather continue in the present persecution, in the present suffering, than to go into the unknown. And that is a huge, huge human character. And that is why when we talk about democracy and we talk, right, we talk about the freedom to pursue happiness, many of us will live in the familiar victimhood than in the unfamiliar freedom of happiness. This is a Jewish story that goes over and over and over. We see it ha happening recently in Venezuela. We saw it in 1939 in, in, in Europe. Um, we see it all the time. We, we don't want to read the writings on the wall because that would demand a change and a change is scary. Interesting how that has always been part of human nature. And obviously the answer to that, the only answer to that is faith. Faith to know that we stand together with God. And hence change is not something we ever do on our own. Anyway, at this point after the plague of darkness, Moses is called by Pharaoh and he says, go. You wanna go, all the humans go, even your children but your livestock has to stay here. And Moses says, not only are we gonna take our livestock, we're gonna to have to take from you two livestock. We have no idea what kind of sacrifices, what numbers of sacrifices God is going to ask of us. Pharaoh gets so angry and he says to the Moses, be careful never to show your face in my presence again because the next time you appear before me, you will die. Moses answers, Pharaoh, you have spoken wisely. I will not be coming back to you, meaning that next time Pharaoh will be coming to Moses. Now, the minute God hears that Moses, the righteous, 
the holy, says, I will not come back. God immediately talks to Moses right then and there in the, in the palace of Pharaoh and says, you have to warn him of one more plague. I have to tell this to you now, since you said you're not coming back, you have to do it now. And that was the warning of the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And this is after that, God tells Moses to tell the Jewish people to ask for the silver and the gold in order to, keep for, to fulfill his promise to Abraham that the Jewish people will leave in great wealth. Moses gives over the message to Pharaoh. And even though God said exactly at midlight, midnight, Moses tells Pharaoh approximately midnight because he didn't want Pharaoh to think that he has the right time. And according to his midnight, it didn't happen yet. And that would be blasphemy to God. And sure enough, so it was that there was the death of the first, uh, the firstborn. Now, what happens is God, Moses is warning Pharaoh. And then he goes ahead and he tells the God tells Moses and Aaron to tell the Jewish people the laws of the new moon. The first mitzvah the Jewish, the Jewish people ever received as a nation in Egypt was the mitzvah of establishing the lunar month. Now, those of you who received the email, the weekly email I sent out, you will see an amazing concept about the Jewish calendar that while the month follows the lunar orbit, the year follows the solar orbit. That means that a month is not the 12th of a year. Only in the Jewish calendar does that exist. For example, in the Gregorian calendar, you have 12 months of the solar orbit. Each month is 30 or 31 days because of the solar orbit. And then each month is a 12th of the solar year. In the Jewish calendar, the months work by the lunar orbit. The year works by the solar orbit, which means that a month is not a 12th of a year because the lunar orbit is 354 days. The solar orbit is 365 days. Now, what we do is we have a system of 19 year cycle. Within the 19 year cycle, there are seven leap years. A Jewish leap year is not an extra day like the Gregorian calendar, it's an extra month. Because if we have seven out of 19 years that we have an extra month, that means that we will keep the difference of 11 days between the solar year and the lunar year, we will fill that gap to keep on readjusting it. Now, the reason why we readjust it, why don't we just stick to the lunar orbit period and have a 354 day year is because the verse talks about the holidays in, set, in the sense of the four seasons. It says that Passover has to be in spring. Now, if we're not going to keep on adjusting the lunar says, year, to match the solar year, eventually keep on taking those 11 days 
Passover is going to end up in the middle of the summer, eventually in the middle of the fall, eventually, eventually in the middle of the winter. It's not going to always be in spring. And the holiday of Passover is connected. The month of the holiday of Passover is connected with the spring. Hence, the Jewish people have a complicated calendar in which we have the lunar month, which has to be aligned with the solar year. Hence, we have the leap years. Hence, we have the 19-year cycle. You can read about it in great detail and a very beautiful understanding of it in this week's email that went out today, the community email. Um, anyone who does not receive it, please feel more than uh, free to text me um, your email. I'll add you to the email list. Oh, my friends, I see Alejandro has joined us. I would like to dedicate this class to the yard site in memory of his father, which is on the 5th of Shvat. Alejandro, we dedicate this to your dad. Going further, we're now going to talk about after God tells the Jewish people to go ahead and have the, the um, lunar cycle, the month set up, God then tells Moses on the 10th day of this month, each Jew is to take a lamb, bring it into a sheep, bring it into his house and tie it to his bedpost. Now, that means that every Jew had a sheep in his house for five days, because on the tenth, four days, because on the 10th of the month, he brought it in. On the 14th of the month is when he brought from it a sacrifice called the Passover sacrifice. Why would God tell the Jews to have it in their house? Why don't you just tell them, okay, just, you know, make sure that you'll have one for the 14th day. And the answer is because the Egyptians, they saw this as a deity. And therefore, they asked the Jews, what are you doing? Why are you tying it to your bedpost? And the Jews would answer, oh, because in five days we're leaving Egypt. And before we leave Egypt, we have to bring a Passover sacrifice. Suddenly, they heard from the Jewish people, everyone heard, that there's going to be the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborns. When the firstborns heard this, and they said, whoa, 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 nine warnings, they each came true. We are to assume that this 10th warning is to come true too. Therefore, the verse says, He smote the Egyptians with their firstborns. And what that really means, according to our sages, it means through the firstborns, the firstborns started a civil war against Pharaoh and his army saying, hey, we don't want to die because of your stubbornness. So that was a great day. And because of that, the 10th of Nisan, which was that year on Shabbat, because the 15th of Nisan, the Jews left Egypt on a Thursday, which means that the 10th of Nisan, when the civil war broke out, was on Shabbat. Hence, till this very day, we have the Shabbat before Passover called Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat. What makes it great is because here God was having the Egyptians themselves fighting against Pharaoh, saying, let the Jewish people go. Now, of course, the question is, why did we pick Shabbat? Why don't we pick the 10th of the month? All Jewish holidays commemorate according to the day of the month, not the day of the week. One of the answers is 
because the 10th of Nisan also 40 years later was the day that Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Moses and Aaron passed away. So therefore they didn't make that day as the holiday, they picked the day of the week. That's one interpretation. Now, what happened was God tells Moses that you should have the lamb it should be slaughtered on the 14th and from the blood, they should put it on the doorpost so that when the angel of death comes to smite the firstborns of the Egyptians, it will see the blood on the doors of the Jewish houses and it will Pesach, means pass over that house and not kill anyone in that house. Now, and so it was, God tells them, that you should have matzah, you should have moror, the bitter herbs, you should be dressed with your shoes, your walking stick and your belt, ready to move because Pharaoh is going to come chasing you out. Now, I wanna point out something that most people don't pay attention. I just shared with you that God told Moses to tell the Jewish people that in Egypt, when they make the Passover sacrifice, they should have matzah, and they should have moror. Now, most of us know that the reason why we have matzah on Passover is because the Jews were chased out and they didn't have time to bake their bread in a normal fashion. Hence, they left with the dough. It didn't have time to rise and it baked as flat matzah. But one second, what you just learned was that long before the Jews left Egypt, with the unleavened dough that baked in the sun into matzah, they were commanded to literally bake matzah. Hence in Kabbalah, there's a huge discussion about the pre-midnight matzah, which the Jews literally baked in Egypt as matzah per the commandment of God, and the post-midnight matzah, which was the outcome of the Jews leaving Egypt in a rush. And what's interesting is, that the matzah that we follow on every Passover is based upon the post-midnight matzah, which according to Kabbalah has far greater spiritual powers. It's all about the redemption. Okay, let's move along now. God commands us that you should know that every single year on this day of the year, the 15th of Nisan, you shall have Passover. It will be a holiday for seven days. You will have the first day as a full holiday in which you may not do work. You will have the last day as a holiday which you may not do work. And the intermediate days are called Chal HaMoed, which doesn't have all the laws of a holiday. However, all these days, you may not have Chometz and there is the eating of Matzah. Now, I said seven days. Those of you who live in the diaspora, you will know that you have eight days. And that has to do with in the days of the holy temple and the main courthouse, they didn't use the calendar to declare Rosh Chodesh. They would use two witnesses who said they saw the birth of the new moon. Now, because of history, they couldn't send, they couldn't continue sending out flags to let the Jewish people know. So they had to send two witnesses, two messengers from the courthouse to let the Jews know that it was Rosh Chodesh because the moon orbit is 29 and a half days. And because we don't make half days Rosh Chodesh, so sometimes we would have a 29 day month 
and the 30th day would be Rosh Chodesh. Sometimes we have a 30-day month, and the 31st day would become Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the next month. Now, because the Jews would never know, so therefore, we make a circle around Jerusalem. Any person that lived, any city that lived within a 15-day travel of the courthouse, they would know on time when to make the Passover Seder. Anyone outside of that 15-day walk radius would not know, so they would make two days Passover, and they would say, if this month was 29 days, then tonight is Passover. The next night they would say, and if it was a 30-day month, then tonight is Passover. Now, even though later on the great sage Hillel made a, cal a calendar, a calculation, which we follow till this very day. So why do we still keep two days? We know exactly what day it is. The answer is minig avotenu biotenu. We hold on to our father's custom. So even though today we don't literally need to do it, we do it to uphold the customs of our ancestors. So therefore everyone living outside of the 15 day walk radius from Jerusalem till this very day keeps two days. While anyone that lives within that 15 day radius has only one day. Hence there are, there are places in Israel that have a seven day holiday while we in the diaspora have an eight day holiday. I wanna just share with you the power of what our sages did in holding on the customs of our parents. You realize that when you make an extra day Passover, that eighth day, we should be putting on tefillin. But we do not put on tefillin because you don't put on tefillin on a holiday. But one second, it's a biblical commandment to put on tefillin every day. And nevertheless, our sages had the power to say, that holding on the customs of our ancestors are so powerful that we should not put on tefillin on that eighth day. Very powerful and very interesting. Okay, moving right along here, God goes ahead and tells Moses, Moses tells the Jewish people, the Jewish people do what they were told to do. And they took the sheep, they, they had the Rosh Chodesh on the 10th day, they took the sheep into the house on the 14th day, and the second half of the day, they slaughtered the lamb and according to the laws of the Passover, and they roasted it. You weren't allowed to cook it because it was a time of royalty. They roasted it from the blood they put on the doorpost, and they ate their carbon Pesach meat together with the matzah and the moror dressed to leave. And sure enough, at midnight, exactly the the uh, plague happens and all the firstborns are dying. Now I wanna share with you something interesting. There is no such thing as midnight. Why? Because every minute of the night either belongs to the first half or the second half. There is no point which is neither first half or second half, but rather is midnight. Hence, according to Kabbalah, the reason the redemption and the reason the miracle happened at midnight, because it's a moment in time which transcends time. Interesting concept. Now, what happens is that Pharaoh, who himself was a firstborn, 
starts running after Moses and Aaron, asking, where is Moses? Where is Aaron? Where is Moses? Where is Aaron? And he tells them, take your people and go. And the verse says that Egypt actually put pressure on the Jewish people, telling them, you need to go now. Now, why would God do that? If we went through these 10 plagues, and we went through all of this process, and Pharaoh at this point sees he has no control, why did the Jews have to leave in a rush? Our sages tell us that were the Jews to remain one extra moment in, Far in Egypt, they would have succumbed to the lowest level of impurity because throughout their time, excuse me, throughout their time there, the Jewish people have become idol worshipers and they have succumbed to 49 levels of impurity. The 50th level is the point of no return. Hence, God set up that exactly at the moment that it was possible, Pharaoh chased them out of Egypt. And that's a huge difference between how we left Egypt and how we are going to leave when Mashiach comes. The prophet says that when Mashiach comes, we will walk slowly, while in Egypt, we had to run. And here's a beautiful insight from the Rebbe. When it came to Egypt, we took the Jew out of exile, but exile was still exile. The proof being that three days later, the Egyptians are chasing the Jews again. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to take the Jew out of exile. We're going to take the exile out of the Jew and out of the universe. Hence, we have an amazing teaching. The word for exile is gola. The word for redemption is geula. And what happens is when you take the Aleph, which means Aleph represents God. When you bring God into the exile, we transform the exile into redemption. And what I mean is that when you bring God into North Miami, into Florida, you have a shul, you put on filling, you pray, you light Shabbos candles, you keep kosher. We are bringing the olive into the gola, which turns it into geula. Now, here is a verse that needs a lot of explanation. It says that the Jews dwelled in Egypt for 430 years, which we know is not factual. Because if you count exactly when the Jews came down to Egypt with Jacob, and we know that Yocheved, the mother of Moses, was born at the entrance of Egypt, you do the mathematics of Yocheved and of Moses, and you do the entire you do the entire calculations of how many years, you will see that we have actually 210 years that the Jews physically lived in Egypt. So why does the verse say 430 years? And the answer is that God told Abraham about Egypt together with the birth of Isaac. Hence, in the birth of Isaac, we already start counting the years. 430 from the birth of Isaac is when the Jews left Egypt. Now, the question is one second. Didn't God say that they're going to be 430 years in Egypt? 
So why are we playing games here? How did it become only 210 years and we're counting the years before the Jews came to Egypt? There's a beautiful explanation that because Joseph came to Egypt and he became the viceroy, the king of Egypt, hence he was able to create the refinement, you will remember that he had all the Egyptians circumcise himself and he gathered all the wealth and everything. Hence, Joseph already did so much of the work of the elevation and refinement of the sparks that the rest of the Jewish people were able to finish it in 210 years rather than 400 years. Okay, we then have the laws of the Passover and from there, we go into the Torah portion that speaks about that we should always remember and we should teach our children about the laws, the, the story of Passover. And in this two portions, which tells us about teaching our children and it hints to the four different children at the Seder, the wise, the wicked, the simpleton, and the one that doesn't know how to ask. Over there, we also have for the first two out of four times, the commandment of putting on fulfilling. And that is this week's Torah portion. Now that leaves us with some time to discuss the title that I sent out, to face your fear. And different than what Roosevelt said, that there's nothing to fear but fear alone. I changed that quote. And I wrote, for there is nothing to fear, but the fear of fear. We don't have to fear fear. We have to fear the fear of fear. In other words, let me share with you a very interesting teaching that I learned. Brave people are not people who have no fear. Brave people are people who have fear and move forward anyway. Hence, the ultimate goal is not to not have fear. Now, you know, in the movies, they talk about this whole process, a famous three-part series, a trilogy. And over there, there was this person who was called four because he only had four fears. And the whole goal was to use a simulator to keep on bringing him back his fears so he won't have fear of it no more. That is good for Hollywood. That is not good in reality. In reality, fear is a God-given emotion. Not only that, we're actually commanded not just to love God, but to fear God. Fear is a very important emotion that gives us a reading of what is going on in the environment around us. So we should not despise fear. What we should do is we must learn to be able to not be paralyzed by our fear. Hence, the goal is to have fear, but to move forward anyway. And that is the ultimate difference between people who successfully pursue happiness and those who don't, whether we're paralyzed by fear. Now, Let's go back to the opening of the Torah portion. And God tells Moses, Bo el paro, come to Pharaoh. But God doesn't tell Moses to tell Pharaoh anything. Hence, in the teachings of Hasidus, when God told Moses to come to Pharaoh, it wasn't 
to give a message to Pharaoh. Rather, God was telling Moses, the time has come for you to face your fear. Because our sages tell us that Moses feared Pharaoh. Now, why would Moses fear Pharaoh if he has God on his side? The Zohar tells us that Paro is a fallen, a fallen concept. What that means is that which is the holiest and the strongest spiritually can fall the lowest. The word Paro, according to the Holy Zohar, comes from the word Ispariun. And the saying is, from there comes forth all light, which means that the spiritual source of Pharaoh is not just the highest level of light, but the source of light from which all light comes forth. Hence, because Moses saw Pharaoh, not just the way he fell into the physical dimension of a wicked king, a narcissistic king, but rather Moses saw Pharaoh in his spiritual source. Hence, Moses had fear of Pharaoh. God tells Moses, you need to face your fear because regardless of what spiritual source he has, you, a Jew, being sent to the Jewish people at the time of redemption must know that there is nothing to fear for you walk with the essence of the essence of God, not just the source of light, but the essence of light where God is, I'm sorry, the essence of God, which is above and beyond even being a source of light, because a source of light is a description. The essence of God has no description. Hence, God tells Moses, Bo el paro, come face your fear. Don't go to Pharaoh, come with me, come with the essence to Pharaoh. And God, and our sages tell us that God placed Moses' foot upon the neck of Pharaoh to teach him that you should know that you, the offspring of Abraham, are connected to the essence even beyond the source and hence even Pharaoh lies beneath your foot as long as you remain cleaving and connected to God. Now let's go back to the practicality of this. The practicality is, is that God gave each and every one of us fear. There is holy fear and there is unholy fear. Holy fear is the ultimate humility and nullification when we stand in front of greatness. It's a feeling that I experienced when I stood at the cliff in the, in the Grand Canyon and felt how minute I am in the face of God that created wonders. Now, besides that, there is an unholy fear. The unholy fear is the fear of diminishment of self, the fear of pain, the fear of not being great, not being in control, not being powerful, not being beautiful, not being rich. The diminishment of self is an unholy fear. And we are so afraid of this diminishment that we're afraid to take risks to become successful. Hence, 
the ultimate message of the entire name of this week's Torah portion is Bo. Come and face your fear. Embrace your fear. Don't try to eliminate your fear. Face your fear. Know that it's there. Know that we have within us an inner child that still fears abandonment, that still fears diminishment. And we must look at our inner child and say, it's okay, Bo El Paro. We're coming to Pharaoh together with God. We're going to face the fear of abandonment, knowing that God is holding our hand and there is no abandonment when we're with God. And that, my friend, is an amazing message of this week's Torah portion. Thank you.